This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Welcome to The Women's War, a production of iHeartRadio. It's the dawn of our second morning in Rojava. Well, our first morning in Rojava. Our first full day, but our second day here. Anarchy gets a bad rap, mainly because the word sounds cool, and so it gets used as a synonym for chaos, disorder, and violence an awful lot of the time. Many people will laugh when you bring up the idea of anarchist leadership or anarchist organizations. And if you happen to introduce yourself as an anarchist, you often wind up needing to cover a fair amount of rhetorical ground just to convince people that you're not either a violent maniac or an adult with the brain of a teenage skateboard punk from a Disney Channel original movie. There are a number of different ways to do anarchy, but the general goal is usually the same. The dismantling of unjust hierarchies. Murray Bookchin was an American, and the ideas that wound up shaping the system in Rojava were originally conceived because they were the system he thought might best take hold in the United States. Bookchin saw massive, dense urban areas making laws for rural mountain dwellers hundreds of miles away, and he saw small-town voters forcing their beliefs on cosmopolitan city dwellers. He thought both of these things were wrong, and the goal of libertarian municipalism was to break down these unjust hierarchies. Almost anywhere you live, if your goal is dismantling unfair hierarchy, you're going to eventually find yourself looking at your justice system. And prior to their revolution, northeast Syria had a famously bad one. Every town was riddled with massive complexes for the mukabrat, or secret police. The Assad regime maintained compliance through an infamous system of torture designed by a former Nazi SS officer. It was a pretty easy system to justify tearing down. But it's not always enough to just remove an injustice. No nation needs mukhabarat, but you do need people to investigate and adjudicate murders, domestic violence, and other sorts of crimes that we can all agree are, in fact, crimes. How does a society based in Murray Bookchin's quasi-anarchist principles handle this? On Sunday, July 21st, 2019, Jake Hanrahan and I set out with our friend Chabad to learn. We were both still a little bit hungover from the night before when Alan, our driver, picked us up from the hotel. 
He lived nearby, and he was going to drive us into Kamishlo to pick up Chabad to start our day. Alan is a thin, wiry man in his early 40s. He has an impassive, semi-permanent poker face, and he expresses the vast majority of his emotions through cigarettes. As a rule, only the very worst cigarettes on earth wind up in Syria. If it can't pass inspection in the EU, it winds up in Alan's pocket. His very favorite brand are Goloises. He offers Jake and I each one, and we enjoy a cigarette breakfast as Alan gets onto the highway. Jake and Alan take turns plugging in their phones and playing different Kurdish militant anthems, including the song of the YDGH, the Kurdish youth movement Jake was arrested for reporting on. For the anthem of a children's militia, it kind of slaps. <laughs> You can tell a lot about this place by looking out the window on a morning drive. We are passed by an ambulance, lights flashing. We see construction teams working on the roads, which are, very notably, in better shape than the roads in Iraqi Kurdistan. We see oil fields in operation, men and women with AK-47s manning checkpoints and waiting for the bus alongside one another. And to my right, as we roll north to Kamishlo, we see mighty trenches being dug to build more and more tunnels. Archways and billboards, covered with the faces and names of Shahids, the martyrs in the war against ISIS, line the highway to every town we enter. They are always vividly colored, set on a background of bright green and revolutionary red. Many women on the street wear headscarves, and some wear the full niqab, which covers them from head to toe. But I also see a great number of women with their heads uncovered girls walking to school with back straight and stacks of books held in the crook of their arms. Freedom of religion and freedom from it are both visible here. Food is in clear and ample supply. The markets we pass are bustling, at least as much as those we see in the KRG. There are numerous military checkpoints, which do slow the speed of travel, but they're necessary to protect people from the ongoing threat of ISIS sleeper cells. These checkpoints are all manned by women and men of the Esaish, the military police. Several of the Asaish we pass have patches on their shoulders that say Salak Jin Mabe, which means no life without our leader. The patches feature a silhouetted portrait of Abdullah Ajalan, Apo, the ideological founder of Rojava. I find this somewhat unsettling. The, the veneration of strong and singular leaders is always, you know, at best, a risky proposition. But I also can't help but notice that the Syrian regime and the ISIS flags that had once been painted over the walls and shutters of buildings in the towns we pass through, they haven't simply been replaced by YPG flags. Instead, they've been covered up by art, paintings of flowers and clovers. The only political symbols that are on display everywhere are pictures of the men and women who died to build this place. We pick up Chabat from outside her home, and she takes us to a nearby food stand for breakfast. We eat something that looks very much like a burrito, but with garlic sauce and falafel inside. It is delicious. While we eat, we go over our schedule for the day. Before heading over here, Jake had sent me an NPR article about a judge named Amina who was working to build the legal code of this new autonomous region. The article was titled, Revenge is for the Weak. Kurdish Courts in Northeastern Syria Take on ISIS Cases. Now, the first part of that title is a quote from a Kurdish lawyer, explaining why their system explicitly bans things like torture, the death penalty, and even life imprisonment. Amina is cited in it, claiming that even Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, if tried and convicted, would only have been eligible for a 20-year sentence. Her hope is that he could be rehabilitated. 
This seems kind of crazy to me, and it seemed kind of crazy to Jake, but it was also really interesting. So we told Chabot that we were interested in talking to Judge Amina, and she set up everything. We arrive at the courthouse around midday. It's actually more of a combination courthouse jail, although it looks from the outside mostly just like a house with a large garden. When we enter the court, the first thing we see is a young man sitting in a chair. His eyes are covered by a black blindfold, and his hands are bound in front of him. He sits facing the wall. It's later explained to me that the blindfolds are so any released prisoners will not be able to tell where they've been. Judge Amina and her colleagues are at constant risk of being murdered just for doing their jobs. Not only are they targets for ISIS sleeper cells, but as the architect of Rojava's new justice system, Judge Amina is a wanted criminal by regime-controlled Syria. Bashar al-Assad doesn't look super kindly on revolutionaries building their own law codes in his country. She chose to help make a new court system in her like country as sort of the uh, the old regime was was pulling back. And I'm curious as to like as because she practiced law before the Civil War. What was it she wanted to see changed? Like when she thought about how she was going to like build a new system, what were the changes she wanted to see instituted in the new system? Chabat was the interpreter for all of our interviews, and we've brought in voice actors to represent some of our sources. But for now, I'm going to let Chabat summarize Judge Amina's answers. And fair warning, she's a fast talker. If you do have trouble understanding anything, on our website, thewomenswar.com, we're going to have a PDF of the episode script and eventually all the episode scripts uh, up for you to, to access. So that's thewomenswar.com. Here's Judge Amina talking through Chabat. But what we wanted to build, or the difference between the, the, the new system that we wanted to build and the region system, it's like the region system, it's pyramid. She just said, it's a pyramid. She means that the Syrian justice system is a top-down sort of thing. All power flows from Assad. It's the state's laws go to the population to be implemented. While our system is versa. It's starting from the society, it's emerged between the people, and even like we said, like a... She's saying that the Rojavan justice system takes place primarily between the people and each other, rather than having everyone follow laws dictated from someone or someone's up at the top. So uh, we are building from the, from the bottom to the up. Talking through Chabat, Judge Amina explained to us that she and her colleagues were working to replace the old authoritarian vertical power structure they'd grown up under with a horizontal one. I don't think Judge Amina is an anarchist, but I suspect the justice system she helped to build would have met with Murray Bookchin's approval. He believed that society needed to be altered in fundamental ways, but that taking power was not the way to do it. Power is the fundamental problem. Bookchin wrote this in his book, Post-Scarcity Anarchism. Quote, Power to the people can only be put into practice when the power exercised by social elites is dissolved into the people. Each individual can then take control of his daily life. If power to the people means nothing more than power to the leaders of the people, then the people remain an undifferentiated, manipulatable mass, as powerless after the revolution as they were before. So, for example, if there is a, 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 any way of uh, problems that happen, confiscating uh, properties or, or uh, You'll notice she's using the word problems instead of the word crimes. I thought this was just sort of a, a translation issue at first, but over time it became clear that it wasn't. In her view, there are crimes and there are problems. A crime, like an ISIS sleeper cell planning to murder a bunch of people, that needs to be addressed by a bunch of folks with guns. But problems should not be solved by a bunch of folks with guns. They should be solved by communities. 
At the neighborhood level, society in Rojava is divided up into local communes, representing a few dozen to a few hundred households each. These communes have a number of committees dedicated to solving different problems. A lot of issues that we tend to send in police to deal with, like domestic disturbances and the like, are instead handled by social committees. Only the most complex and ugly problems get escalated out of the committees and into the courts. If they cannot solve it on their level, this committee, they will go to prepare it to the court. Then they will go The local communes are democratic structures, and they include every member of the neighborhood. Committee members are elected by their neighbors and selected for their perceived level of wisdom and trustworthiness. A lot of older men and women, grandmothers and grandfathers, wind up in these positions. Now, law and order in Rojava is complicated by the unavoidable reality of tribalism. This part of Syria is filled with a number of very powerful tribes, and there are often blood debts going back decades between one tribe or another. The complicated nature of tribal politics means that any murder could potentially spawn a brutal series of reprisal killings that leave numerous people dead. When a murder like this occurs in Rojava, the police do the job you'd expect and arrest the killer, at least ideally, but the social committee also springs into action, and their job is to stop the violence from spreading. What happens next is a series of negotiations between the family of the victim and the family of the killer. The committee members act as mediators, gradually working out a way for both families to remain in the area without gunning each other down. Judge Amina tells us about one particular set of negotiations that took six months. At the end of the process, the arrangement was sealed with a feast. Having a big public party where the family of a murderer and the family of his victim all hang out sounds weird, and it is weird, but it serves a purpose of making sure there is a large public show of both sides squashing the beef. That way, if either family attacks the other later, the whole community will know who broke the peace and broke their word. In the Rojavan system, violence is seen as a community problem, as well as an individual problem. Judge Amina didn't consider justice to be achieved when a criminal was behind bars. She and the other architects of the system here thought it was equally important to try and heal communities racked by violent crime. Uh, we wanted to, to, to spread this idea of uh, peaceful forgiveness and coexistence uh, peacefully. Rojava still has many of the same mechanisms of justice we're familiar with in the United States. They have criminal courts and prisons, but the maximum sentence is 20 years. And the goal of incarceration is rehabilitation, not punishment. For example, the prisons in, in Syria it's, uh, or in Rojava, it's not about punishing only. Yeah, beside the punishing, there is an educational system in our Judge Amina explained that the goal of Rojava's prisons was to prepare to integrate the prisoner back into society without a murderous mind. I had trouble disagreeing with this on a moral level, but all the prisoners I'd seen so far in the jail were suspected ISIS fighters. The vast majority of Rojava's prisons were occupied by captured ISIS men. 
I lived through portions of the battle for Mosul. I talked to hundreds of people, Syrians and Iraqis, who suffered under ISIS. The idea that these people could somehow be fixed with job training seminars warred with my desire to see them quickly and violently punished. I had trouble believing that people in Rojava, who'd suffered much more from ISIS than I could ever imagine, would support de-radicalization over punishment. And I told this to Judge Amina. I asked Judge Amina about the prisoners we'd seen on our way in, the ones handcuffed to chairs and blindfolded. She assured me that the blindfolds and handcuffs would be removed once the prisoners were processed. It was just a matter of necessary safety for the moment. It all sounded good enough, but of course, you know, all I had to go on was me sitting in a room talking to a woman. Verifying how this entire justice system actually functioned is beyond my ability. It's larger work than one reporter can carry out. And I asked Judge Amina how she'd feel about international observers from the UN or Amnesty International coming in to report on the justice system in Rojava. She said that she and her colleagues very much wanted the international community to come. This is consistent with other reporting I've seen on the courts in Rojava. And as with most things in this place, there's a really pragmatic explanation that goes along with the idealistic one. See, Rojava is quite literally under a gun right now. International recognition and the protection that legitimacy provides, that's a matter of life and death for these people. If the UN came in to observe their justice system, it also means the UN is here and they're not going to get bombed by the Turkish Air Force. Um, so, yeah. There's a couple of reasons they do that. To emphasize the openness of the court system, Judge Amina offered to take us on a tour of their facilities, and it was absolutely not a polished affair. We hopped downstairs, and she threw open the door to an interrogation that was in process and then beckoned for me to walk in. The first thing I saw in the room was a young man, handcuffed to a chair, sitting in front of a table with four people behind it, an even mix of men and women. Three of the people are judges, and one is an observer from the village the arrested man came from. This is the way terrorism charges are handled in Rojava. The judges were clearly in the middle of questioning the man when I barged in. We shared a long, awkward glance, and then they greeted me. The prisoner said nothing. On my way out of the room, my backpack flipped off the light switch and plunged the entire room into darkness. Everyone was very cool about it, but I felt like an idiot. I didn't, however, feel that what I was seeing was stage-managed or set up in any way to impress me. Amina shows us everything we ask to see, including cells where prisoners wait. And I will not say these facilities are plush and luxurious. Uh, they look like a jail. They're, they're, they're not a place you'd want to be. But they aren't, you know, filthy, dank, or torturous-seeming either. I would say things are about as comfortable as you could expect them to be given the resources available. The willingness to be observed is so consistent and so pervasive that it's hard not to be convinced by it. We leave the court pretty impressed with what we've seen. We start the drive back into Kamishlo. As we drink lukewarm instant coffee and watch the road go by, the three of us start to chat. Chabat tells us about one of Rojava's less reported problems, people firing guns into the air in celebration. It's a major issue in Syria and across the Middle East, since it's also an issue in Texas, where I hail from. Chabat and I bond over this. Yeah, shooting into the air is a... Really? What? I can't understand the mind of the man. I can't totally. Like, what I mean, speaking point? as a man, I get why you'd want to. It does sound fun. Like, yeah, I, I know I want yeah, to. I wouldn't do it, I'm but I get it. I'm not going to. I'd love to. But I know it would be fun. What? I know, I know. Well, I, love, I love shooting There's something stuff. wrong with us. Like, I've been doing that as, like, since I was a kid. 
Jake and I admit that, as men, we're fundamentally driven to break things sometimes, mostly to see what it looks like. Men, we have, like, a destructive streak. Yeah. You know, like, all men have a bit of, like, you want to smash something sometimes. Like, <laughs> when we drove so up weird. here from Derit, we saw a couple of guys on a 50 cal shooting into a quarry. And yeah, it's just yeah, like, just, yeah, 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 it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun, come on, guys. I'm not saying it's healthy, I'm just saying, like, it's something, it's something it's we do, because we're dumb. Okay, yeah. I understand it's not just a, cult a culture problem, it's a gender no, problem. That is a, that is a problem a everywhere there are men. Oh my god. When I was a kid, we used to take stones and we have like... Um, we have like glass phone boxes huh? and we just smash them. Like, no idea why, like 10 years old, like... Yeah, I have... It's yeah, so weird. Well, there are kids also, they have this trend of destroying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Men, some of us, we can't grow out. They're yeah. enjoying this smashing. destroying, yeah. smashing things instead of building things. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah. yeah, you really have to... Because of that, now all the earth gets destroyed because it's a man who are controlling yeah. this. Oh, but what's are destroyed? Destroying all the earth, all the world. Oh, yes, absolutely we are. Absolutely. It's same like yeah. the kids, we all smash everyone, kill a million, la la la. Throughout the Syrian civil war, the fighters of the YPG have been praised as probably the most ethical, least war-crimey armed force in the country. Chabat credited some of this on the fact that both genders were present on the battlefield. The existence of the woman with them, next to them and everywhere. Yeah. This is the thing that's always prevented to act like that, sometimes, like, you know, when you are just around. Otherwise... As we re-enter Kamishlo, I take notes on the things I see. A smiling boy in a hoodie, kneeling. A young woman in military garb, grinning and looking at a colleague nearby in mid-conversation. Brightly colored pictures of shahids hanging over a traffic circle. A wall painted with the international symbol for recycling. Jake and I wanted to spend a day in Raqqa, the former capital of the Islamic State, and go out on patrol with an SDF unit. Before we could do that, though, we'd have to collect the proper permissions. Alan drives us to an Asaish base on the outskirts of Kamishlo. We park outside a phalanx of nondescript, one-story, white office buildings, surrounded by a low wall dotted with guard posts. The inside of the facility reminds me more of my old high school in Plano, Texas, than of anything. This feeling is reinforced after we're ushered into a waiting room that is filled with kids. Okay, not literally kids, but 18 and 19-year-olds. They're all off-duty Asaish, taking a tea break before picking up their guns to go back on duty. Two of them are women. One wears a veil, the other does not. The remaining five are men. Three of them have visible tattoos, including one of the women. Before heading here, I'd been told it was unusual to see tattoos on people in this part of Syria, but this is apparently much less true for young folks here. The officer in charge is slightly older than the rest, perhaps in his mid-twenties. He is also the most heavily tattooed of the bunch. I can see a hawk on his arm and words written across both of his forearms. He wears a t-shirt that says, Black is the new black. If he'd had boots instead of sneakers, he wouldn't have looked out of place at a punk show. I ask him if he knows any local tattoo artists. The line work on his ink is pretty good, and I decide then and there that while I'm in country, I want to get a tattoo. He gives Chabat the phone number of his guy, and I wonder, fleetingly, if this same hookup can maybe find us weed. But then I remember I'm technically talking to a cop. Instead, I use the opportunity to ask this young, gender-mixed group about genealogy and gender integration. I want to know how they feel about the changes that have recently been made. They are instantly awkward, giggling and blushing. It was as if I had asked a group of American men and women at work, why do you all treat each other like people? Shortly after that, we're called in to talk with the Asaish press officer and to square away the details of our trip to Raqqa. When that's done, we pile back in the van and head home to Darik. Chabat asks me if I'm really serious about wanting to get a tattoo. 
I assure her I am, and that the only question is what it will be of. On our way back, Jake and I talk with Chabad about our thoughts on the interview with Judge Amina. One thing I was struck by is how many of the new structures in the Rojavan legal system boil down to groups of people sitting around and talking to one another. Chabad explains that this is a central facet of the revolution. From the beginning of this project, military units in the YPG and YPJ engaged in what they called tech mill, sessions where squads would gather together after actions and discuss what had gone well and what hadn't. The word tech mill just means report, and tech mill sessions can be called by anyone in the military or civilian structures of Rojava. Most often, tech mill is done at the end of a project. I found a write-up by a foreign volunteer in Rojava, Philippe O'Keefe, He explains that the ideological justification for this system is rooted in a critique of capitalism. Quote, Capitalist modernity does not foster equality nor mutual trust. It divides us and forces upon us a hyper-competitive culture built upon internal and external deception and facades. In this system, criticism is not seen as a means by which we can improve ourselves and each other, but rather as a means by which we can attack and destroy our competition, our enemies, our fellow humans. O'Keefe connects the tech mill system to one of the foundations of the Rojavan revolution, Havalti. The word Haval literally means friend, and so Havalti just means friendship, essentially. Quote, It is the idea that we work together, we help each other, we share everything from the tangible to the intangible, not because we expect something in return, but simply because we are comrades, that we are humans living, struggling, and experiencing life together, that we are sharing the same purpose of trying to advance the collective well-being. It is the idea that we can trust and believe in each other, and that we need not fear ulterior intention. By establishing the culture of Havalti as the basis of revolutionary life, we create the alternative environment and society conducive to constructive criticism and the means by which, together, we improve ourselves and the collective. This is critical to Techmill because it allows us to respectfully give criticisms and, more importantly, accept, absorb, and address the criticisms in an efficient manner, free of ego, fear, mistrust, or conflict. The tech mill system was initially just a thing for the military and civil administration, but over the years it started to spread into the home lives for a number of the families who are most devoted to the revolution. So they have this system of tech mill in the home. They have, you know, the same in the front lines, you have it with the military or different civilians. They have it with each other. So each one of them have a rotation to cook, to clean the house, to do, you know, shopping. Uh, and they criticize each other at the same level, the children with the father, with the mom. Now, this is all part of a broader trend and one of the things that interests me so much about Rojava. The fact that this place exists at all is due to the tenacity and the skill of the militias that defended it from ISIS. The people of Rojava have responded to this reality not by ceding control of their lives to the militias, but by adopting what Chabat calls a culture of self-defense. We have this community, it's completely not armed, but self-defense culture we have it here. This is the way that we're going to protect ourselves for any threat, whatever uh, Americans want to withdraw, all of this stuff. We start by ourselves, we're going to end up by ourselves, because we have this culture of self-defense. So what they are doing, they are organizing, you, you, you can see all these different military inside the cities, plus the, 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 the front lines and the army. Plus that there is a society uh, uh, military thing, you know, somehow. There is the mamas and that's like, you know, the, the elderly men and women, 50s. Yeah. Up 50s sometimes, like grandmas, you know. You can see them, they get the training and they have their clashes during the, during this uh, critical situation. Always they are starting because I know everyone in the neighborhood, so they were going to start to make these checkpoints. 
Now, when she says clash, she means a Kalashnikov, an AK-47. What Chabad is talking about here are local networks of men and women, most of whom are elderly, who have taken responsibility for armed self-defense of their communities onto themselves. You cannot believe it. It's not me. It's I, not I cannot just the show. Clash. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's super real. Yeah. Believe me. Look, I mean, in the Eid, you haven't been in the like uh, the, the, when the time it's like uh, any celebration, anything. So they are everyone just organizes starting from the neighborhoods. Whenever we pass there, and they are more strict than the normal asylum, to be honest. <laughs> they are taking over responsibility, and they are 50s, so they are like doing their job. This jet, uh, uh, generations of 80s, you know. So they are over, and me always, I just, my eyes tear up when I just saw them with this elderly, you know, and have this clash, and they are super nice. Wow, it's true. Do you think for some of them, that's probably like the first time in their lives as women yeah. they've been allowed to have some kind of yeah, authority? Yeah, 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 exactly. And they are accepting, integrating, adapting. Now this all brings up the natural question. How much honesty can we trust Chabat to express about this place, which is after all her home? When you're working as a journalist in a place like Iraq or Syria, your experience of the country is deeply colored by your fixer. Their opinions and their relationships, their biases and their beliefs. Jake and I needed someone whose relationships with the SDF were good enough to get us access. But we were also worried about working with someone who was literally aligned with the powers that be in the region. As a journalist, you never want to work with a man, even if he happens to be a woman. enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
between their obsession with Abdullah Ajalan and strident left-wing political views, the military forces of Rojava have been accused of brainwashing their members. Patches saying, no life without our leader, did not exactly squash that worry from my mind. And we were certainly concerned with the possibility that Chabad herself might wind up somewhere on that spectrum. What do you think about people that, you know, some people say, oh, they're just brainwashing everybody. What do you think about that? I mean, you're going to suggest something, you're going to implement it, and if it doesn't work, if it's out of your nature, it will be clear. The outcomes, it's, it's proof that it's everyone more happier, more feel value as a human beings. So which kind of brainwashing if it's not relevant to your, uh, you know, mind and, and, and even your feelings? It's deeper than just, you know, brainwashing. Yeah, say, people say it, you know, there's a lot of criticism. Yeah, it's, it's the... No one obliged anyone. I mean, brainwashing in a way like um, if it's on behalf of the community and they see it by their own eyes, you know? Yeah. You feel it, you see it, you live it. Like my family, they don't know I'm going to the front lines, but I go, I'm going not because of anything. I like there. I can't find myself. Part of me it's there. It's something you cannot even express it, you know? It's no one sit with me. I'm fully independent. I'm not a part of any institutions. I'm doing this because I found myself there. The more we talked about this, the more Chabat began to share about herself and her own motivations for doing this work. There was an element of patriotism to it. The Rojavan revolution had made life better for people here, in her eyes, and she supported that. But Chabat was also not anyone zealot. You lived in Kamishlo your whole life? Uh, no. My father, is working in the oil field, so he moved from different cities. In Al- so we are seven siblings, each one of us. I born in Qamishli, but my, my other siblings, each one of them in a different city. Some of them in the village, in suburb of Qamishli, some in Al-Hasaka, in Terbaspi, in uh, uh, where else? Yeah, village, Hasaka, Qamishli, and Terbaspi, four cities. We changed around seven houses. And now my parents, they are in Rimela, which is the city of the oil. Me, I'm in Qamishli, by myself, again. The fact that Chabad lives alone is hugely significant. This is simply not done, even given the revolutionary spirit that has overtaken Rojava. Young women tend to live with their families or communally in cooperative farms or military units like the YPJ, not alone. To just break these rules also of um, the community that's for the woman to have a house, she has to get married. And it will be the house of the man. For me, it's again, we are struggling on the civil side as well, not just, you know, to break all these uh, outdated customs and traditions. So I said, okay, I'm going to live by myself. I can't have a house without getting married. And my mother, she was like, no, it's shame and how people are going to speak about us and all this. Hey, 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 hey. I said, I'm fully independent woman. I don't need a man to, to, to have a house. I will have a house. And I have it. And then I can see the reaction of the females around wow like you we wanna we wish we can do the same and i'm sure it's just you open you pave the way for the next generation next year after that it will be super normal for the woman in Qamshin to live by themselves whether or not you trust chabad is up to you i don't claim to be a perfect judge of character or motivations all i can say is that by the end of our first full day in rojava jake and i were at least completely convinced of her sincerity that doesn't mean we agreed or understood everything she believed for one thing, Jake and I had both spent large chunks of our careers face-to-face with the bloody consequences of ISIS's ideology. The idea that the Rojavan legal system supported some kind of forgiveness for these people, it, it seemed almost obscene to us. Well, I, in my head, you know, as a Westerner, even, I think like they don't deserve that. They don't deserve to be re-educated or whatever. 
Look, the, the Western, it's completely different. The ISIS with the Western one specifically that I, 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 I met them, they are not like the, the Syrian one. They are yes. completely ideological. She's talking about the difference between foreign ISIS fighters and local ones. And this is a meaningful distinction. In Syria and in Iraq, a number of locals supported ISIS for a period of time because, quite frankly, they didn't have many other options. The night before, when we'd been drinking with our friends, one of them had told us about a Syrian rebel commander he embedded with a few times at the start of the civil war. That guy eventually wound up joining ISIS, not because he was ideologically drawn to ISIS, but because all of his sons had died fighting the Syrian regime, and ISIS was the only group who would give him more bullets and more guns to keep fighting the regime. Foreign fighters, the people who leave places like England or the United States to go fight for ISIS, well, those are very different sorts of people and Chabad had no time for them. They are lying, they are like, uh, it's very clear, like, oh, poor me, I didn't do anything, yeah. I was just uh, cooking there, la la la, but it's very obvious, like, no, for those, I'm sure uh, this program, it's still not going to work. But for the Syrian, because you are, have this social approach, culture approach, you know, and you respect them as a human beings, and all of them, and even, I met two ISIS, they were in the jail, uh, Syrian from their resort, they said, like when uh, we have been in the front lines with the ISIS, they lose part, uh, you know, handicaps, they are uh, losing their legs. But for the normal Syrian civilians who got caught up in something bigger than themselves, Chabat believed those men and women deserved another chance at life. This is a powerfully different attitude than the one I encountered most often when I visited the refugee camps around Mosul. I mean, I remember when uh, near the end of the fighting in Mosul, I talked to a lot of people who, like, had been run out of, like, they'd been tortured by ISIS or something, and, like, we were talking to them at a refugee camp, and they'd say something along the lines of, and when I get back home, I know who I'm going to turn in to the, uh, to the Iraqi police, and, like, then they're going to get theirs, and then it'll be on the other foot, and it's like, like, you could, you already see the cycle of violence starting up again, and it has with the Shia militias, who have just been very brutal. Um, and it's just gonna, there's gonna be another Sunni uprising, there's going exactly. to be... Exactly. And like, an everyone, everyone in Mosul was like, in another 10 years, there'll be more it's fighting in the city. Yeah, it's just gonna take a little bit of time. This is what we do on this example. Yeah. Because as, uh, as uh, that woman, uh, Amina, she said, like, uh, violence attracts more violence. We do on this. Revenge, it's revenge. It's, we do on that. So, when you, you forgive them, you give them a chance, let's see. Chabat spoke with deep passion about the importance of forgiveness and her fervent belief that radicalization and terrorism must be treated as social problems, as the result of flaws in the culture, rather than as individual problems, a result of the terrorist in question just being a bad person. I'm sure that to a lot of Americans, this may sound like naive, hippy-dippy nonsense, but Chabat is anything but naive to the consequences of terror. Now my brother have been murdered by ISIS, no? Like, his shade, he was YPK. YPJ, my brother. Yeah. So I went to, I'm always meeting the ISIS. Never I have a hate against them. And I, I don't feel that, you know? Really? Sometimes I feel pity for them. Really, I feel like, oh my God. You don't want to like, they destroy kill their them? Life. No. Never escape. Even hate. Do you know what i done even? When I go to the Arosh camp, so usually I know all the girls there, so I go to the kitchen. I was like, wanted to make a coffee. So I asked the ISIS uh, wife, she was Canadian, so I, how it's your coffee? And she was like, what? Do you want to make coffee for me? I said, like, yeah. And she was like, oh my God, since the years, no one, you know, have the, asked me this question. Like, no, for sure, we were going to have a coffee, all women together, you know? And then I said that, she was like, wow, you are so sweet. You can't touch people via your humanity. I cannot say, like, you devil, la la la, Lord. So what the point? 
I don't have any and even I cry too much with her story oh, like, I cannot stop crying I'm like yeah we have to help you like you know <laughs> I help many of them with the lawyers there is international lawyers and always like I start I, sometimes they give me numbers or names so I pass it to the lawyers like help them because be, if uh, we want to because if they, we wanted to stop this to not repeat it again yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess if we so wanted to repeat it again the Sweden case I remember there is this very famous Sweden ISIS, uh, you know, uh, very famous on the Twitter, and they always making calls for the Islam, things like that. And he have been killed, and his wife also. He have five orphans. So for me, I play a basic role in order to push the media, the Sweden media, where I highlighted that case, to push the politicians to come and take those orphans. Why? Because for me, all of them have been malnutritioned. They were in the suffering, and their father already have this. So. If we didn't help them, after a few years, we we're going to have five jihadis instead of one. Syria has been at war now for almost a decade. Everyone is tired of bloodshed and killing. This exhaustion has driven Rojava's humanitarian policy towards ISIS prisoners, at least as much as ideology has. Naivety is believing that more executions and more incarceration and more torture can possibly solve a problem like ISIS. Chabat's feelings on this were fully crystallized in 2018, when she watched the very last stronghold of the caliphate, a place called Baguz, fall. I went there to just because I, I had lost many friends, my brother, I'm like, I wanted to feel something, victory or whatever. No, there is no victory. All of us losing. All of us. No, there is no victory in this. No. Just because it uh, happened, we all lost. Yeah, all of us. Look to this malnutrition babies of, of, of ISIS. Oh my God. What? They are just victims. I know, you know. So they're alive? Oh yeah, they are. Actually. Yeah, they are. <sighs> malnutrition. Thousands. Of, look. Oh my God. Yeah. So why? Yeah. If yeah. some insane that's people that's wanted to destroy this world, we will not gonna for sure do uh, yeah. all of us be insane. No, we have to repair it. It's again, someone destroying, you have to build, you have to build. We have this ideology, you know? Okay, I saw everything. Although there is something new, you are gonna just, no way. Near the end of the day, we crossed back into Darig, our home for one more night. On our way in, we see some graffiti written on a wall, a Kurdish phrase that translates to, we shall take revenge for the martyrs of the homeland. It's a sign that, despite what Chabat and Judge Amina told us, not everyone here considers revenge to be for the weak. This is not a place of unanimous voices. And in truth, if Rojava is truly democratic, that's what you'd expect. Disagreement. Pain and confusion over the issue of whether or not to forgive the people who fought to dominate them. Just as there's deep confusion over the thorny question of gender equality. Enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbiotica.com. That's C Y M B I O T I K A.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. 
over 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Our evening ended with a dinner at a prominent local restaurant, an all-women's cooperative that had been organized with help from the Women's Economic Development Committee. Projects like this are increasingly common in Rojava, a compromise between the realities of capitalism and leftist political theory. The food was incredible, and I'm not generally a fan of eggplant, but Syrians do something with it that makes it taste almost meaty. It's just uh, it's amazing. It was also incredible to see a large and prosperous business in the chunk of the Middle East that we were in, owned and operated and entirely managed by a collective of nine women who all share work and share profits. After dinner, Chabat and I sit down with one of the co-owners, and I ask just how this place got started. She said municipal council there. It's one of the bottom-up governing organizations that manages most daily life in Rojava. It took a lot of convincing to get some of the older men in the group on board with the idea that a woman-run business would work, but eventually the municipal council decided to back the project and helped provide funding for it to get off the ground. After a few months, the co-op was successful enough to stand on its own. With this kind of project, a cooperative like this run by women, it's all this would seem possible to her ten years ago before the revolution. No. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't need a translator for that answer. We bid goodbye to Chabat for the night, and Jake and I set out on a vain quest to buy beers. The bustling market streets of Derek hold many treasures, particularly cigarettes. But in the end, we have to rely on a boy in our local motel to buy us a case of beer. It's kind of the opposite of the way things work in the United States, two adults asking a child to buy them alcohol. I pay about $15 for a dozen tall boys, and Jake and I go up on the roof to drink, him in moderation and me to mild excess. As I stumble, rather pissed down the stairs towards our room, the hotel manager stops me. There's been a mistake, he explains. I've been overcharged for the beers. He gives me back like four or five dollars worth of Syrian money. Since I didn't really know the price of the beers to begin with, I never would have noticed the fact that I'd been overcharged. His honesty here is a small thing, but it surprises me. I'm used to Iraq, where hotels and bars understandably try to get every possible dime out of Western clients. Rojava so far has been filled with little moments like this, moments of shocking honesty and compassion from a place that's been racked by war for a full third of my lifetime. There's this odd sort of assumption we have in the West, spurred on by Hollywood, that war and violence must, by necessity, make people harder, colder, more ruthless. And I think the truth is more nuanced. War can harden the hearts of a culture and its people and turn them away from compassion. 
But it can also be the catalyst for something very different, a verdant bloom of compassion growing out from a field of blood. The Women's War is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.